0: beginning at Galatians chapter 1. Now we're going to pick it up at verse 10. We looked at the first nine verses last week, and we saw, wow, what a situation it was that Paul was writing to these people in the region of Galatia. I mean, a couple years before this time, he had gone through on a tour throughout that region and founded several churches in several different cities of this region of Galatia. And now he had returned back home to his home church, and he had heard a report that there were some real problems coming up in the church at Galatia, and the problems was that people were coming in and teaching a different message than what Paul taught. And I'm not talking about something that's a little bit different. I'm not talking about a difference of style or a difference of emphasis. I'm talking about something that at its root, at its core, it was a different message, so much so that Paul called it a different gospel. Now, Paul wasn't the kind of guy just to stand back and say, well, they have their gospel, I have my gospel, another person has another gospel, let's just live and let live. Paul says, well, no, I don't want to call the police on these people preaching another gospel, but I have to tell my brothers and sisters in the church of Galatia how wrong it is. And in verses 8 and 9, in the strongest sense, Paul says, let these people who are preaching this false gospel... This different message, let them be accursed. Now, we couldn't be blamed if we read that and we said, well, now, wait a minute, Paul. Here you are, putting down everybody else's message, thinking you have such a great gospel. Tell us about your message, Paul. Just where did you get your message? You know, they have their message, you have yours. What makes your message any better? You know what Paul would say? He'd look you square in the eye and he'll say, I'll tell you one thing that makes my message better, though he could probably think of a dozen. He'd say, I'll start off by saying this. My message is the true gospel because it came from God. Look at verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul lays the groundwork right at the beginning, and he says, you know, when I preach my gospel, when I bring my message, my audience isn't primarily the people. My audience is primarily God in heaven. I'm preaching for him. In other words, I didn't shape my message to tickle some itching ears. You know, there's a lot of that going around in the church today. There are people who go around and basically do an opinion survey of the community or of their own congregation, and they say, what do you want to hear? And I'll preach it to you. Friends, that's putting the shoe on the wrong foot, isn't it? That's the tail wagging the dog. The minister is supposed to stand before his people and say, I have a message for you from God. Here it is. Here's God's Word. It's a message from God, and we all need to pay attention to it. We all need to surrender to it. I think one of the most important attitudes that any preacher can have when he steps into the pulpit is to say, I'm speaking first and foremost to God. You know, and then it doesn't really matter how many people show up, does it? That doesn't matter if the preacher's preaching to five people or 500 or 5,000. Jesus Christ is in the audience there, isn't he? You know, let's say we heard for some reason, and for some strange reason, we heard that Billy Graham wanted to come and visit our church here this morning. We say, oh, great, we want Billy to preach. And Billy says, no, I don't want to preach, I just want to sit down and listen. Now, if I were to step in the pulpit there and see Billy Graham in the pulpit, you know, as soon as I could grab on to keep from falling down from behind the pulpit, I'd be saying, oh, I want this to be a good message for Billy. Oh do I want him. Oh do I want Oh boy do I want to preach a good one today. Jesus Christ is present every day, isn't he? He's always coming to church. So we should say, listen, I want to do the very best I can. I want to be as faithful and as true and as honest in the proclamation of the gospel as I can because I want to have the same heart Paul did. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I pleased men, I would not be a servant of Christ. For Paul, it was one or the other. He could not direct his ministry towards pleasing men and at the same time direct it to pleasing Jesus Christ. It's one or the other. Everybody who serves God is either doing it with the direction, with the emphasis on pleasing men, or with the direction or the emphasis on pleasing Jesus Christ. And Paul says, if my first concern is not to please Jesus Christ, well, then I'm not his servant. I'm the servant of the people, not the servant of Jesus. And while any pastor has to have a heart to serve the people, first and foremost, he must be a servant of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I want you to know that my message didn't come from some opinion poll, from some focus group, from polling data. No, he goes on to say, verse 11, look at this. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, in contrast to the different gospel that other people were bringing, the false gospel that Paul was so concerned about, Paul says, my message is from God and theirs is not. Paul's message was not a man's attempt to reach up and understand God and explain him. No, it was God's effort to bow down and communicate with man. Friends, we don't need good advice. We don't need the best intentions of men. We don't need the wisdom of man. We need a revelation from God. We need to know that God has spoken and to take his word seriously to heart. It's a serious question for us to consider. Was Paul's message, is the message of the Bible, is it really from God? You know, some people would say it isn't. Some people would say, well, it's just the fine achievement of man's moral and spiritual search for God. You know, we, we applaud the Bible. Yes, very good, very good, fine, fine literature. Friends, is it from God? If Paul's gospel, if the message of the Bible, if it really came from God, then I can't think of a more important fact in the world. I mean, if this is really God in heaven's word to us, what more important thing is there? Nothing. It's it. This is it. But you know, if this is just a human invention, if this is just the musings of a bunch of spiritual men, and it's the most dangerous lie in the world, and it's not from God at all. Now, there's no shortage of people who will tell you that they have a revelation from God, or that they wrote a book from God. I mean, you got the Koran, you got the Book of Mormon, you got the writings of Mary Baker Eddy, you've got all different... Oh, it's all from God, it's all from God. You can say it's from God, they, they would proclaim. But how can we know that the Bible is really from God and not from man? Well, let me give you some ways. You know what I want you to do this morning? I want you to listen and have more confidence in your Bible... When I'm done speaking, than when you had before. You know, we can know that the Bible is the Word of God, first of all, because the Bible's reliable and it's accurate and it's trustworthy as an ancient document. I mean, we know this because the text itself is established and reliable and secure. We know this from thousands of ancient manuscripts of the Bible that we look and date and compare and and analyze. And we say, you know what, this text that we have, this is a very, very accurate copy of the original things that were written. And we also know it because archaeology has confirmed consistently and it's always supported the biblical record. There has never been a finding in archaeology that's contradicted the Bible. Never. People, places, events in the Bible, they're repeatedly verified by archaeology. You know, one of my favorite things is to read about in the history of of people's research and study in the Bible, where the Bible would mention a vast people group, such in the Old Testament, such as the Hittites. And the archaeologists never found any evidence of the Hittites. And they said, oh, the Bible's just making this up. It's just fairy tales." You mean we'll talk about Hansel and Gretel here? You know, it's all just fairy tales. Until one day, the archaeologists discovered the civilization of the Hittites. And it was exactly as vast and mighty as the Bible described. Well, friends, that's just one example of many. Archaeology, over and over again, demonstrates that the Bible is reliable and historically accurate. That's not all. There's a lot of reliable and historically accurate books, aren't there? But the Bible's unique among all of them. Absolutely unique. You know, the Bible is unique, for example, in its continuity. This book was written over a period of 1600 years. Let that number sink down into your mind. 1600 years. That's the time span over which the Bible was written. It's written by 40 different authors writing over a period of 60 generations. It was written on three different continents by people of different social and political and economic status. It's written in three different languages. And when you take all of that together, the Bible speaks on the most controversial subjects imaginable. God, eternal life, morality, ethics. It speaks on all these controversial subjects, and it speaks on them in one united voice in agreement. Friends, that's a unique book. I challenge you to collect the writings of 40 different people from 1,600-year time span, from 60 different generations, of all different economic and and linguistic classes, and written in different languages, and you compare the writings of those people written on controversial topics and see if they agree. But the Bible agrees, because it really has one author God in heaven. The Bible is unique in its circulation. Never, never has there ever been a book as widely published as the Bible. It's unique in its translation. Never has there been a book translated into as many languages as the Bible. It's unique in its survival and how it's endured the attacks of violent men and skeptics and manual transcription and persecution and criticism. The Bible is unique in its honesty. No other ancient book is so honest in communicating the failures of its heroes. It's unique in its influence. You will never find a book that has influenced human history as much as the Bible has. So the Bible's a pretty great book, right? How can we know it's from God? Well, here's another way you can know. Through the miracle of predictive prophecy. You know, the Bible gives, for example, more than 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah that were exactly and literally fulfilled by the coming of Jesus Christ. Friends, God has to be behind a book like that. We're talking about things like uh, his birth at Bethlehem, his manner of death, his burial, and so forth. The Bible describes the rise and fall of world empires and political kingdoms with such amazing accuracy that critics of the Bible have to say, well, it must have been written after the fact, because it's so literal and so accurate. Friends, the Bible speaks with amazing accuracy in its predictive prophecy. And I also tell you that the Bible is completely amazing and unique because it's a book that has profoundly changed the lives of millions of people from different areas of the world, from different races, from different classes, from different genders, from different uh, ages, from different social status. The Bible has an amazing power to change lives. You might look at all that and say, well, preacher, you know, that's pretty interesting. I'll admit to you that the Bible is an amazing book, but you haven't proven to me that it's from God. And that's what Paul says it is, right? Prove to me that it's from God. You know, they just want to see it dropped down on a parachute from heaven or delivered by angels or something like that. I'll admit to you. You can't prove in a laboratory that the Bible is the word of God. There's an element of that that you have to take on faith, that you have to say, you know what, I believe that it's God's word. I'll say there's an element that you have to take on faith. But friends, what I want you to understand is that it is a step of intelligent and informed faith. It's not a leap of blind faith. God isn't saying, "Uh, just trust in this, just like you trust. Well, I'm going to win the lottery this week. That's blind faith. You have no reason to believe that. Friends, you have incredible reason to believe that the Bible's from God. Your faith can be informed. Your faith can be intelligent. Not some blind leap of faith. That's what Paul says. He says, it's not according to man, verse 12, for neither I received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ, Paul's own relationship to the gospel was unique. Most everyone hears the gospel from somebody else. I mean, didn't you? Didn't somebody, a preacher, your mom and dad, somebody in a Bible club, you read it in a book, almost everybody hears the gospel from somebody else. But Paul was very unusual in this way, in that Jesus Christ himself brought the gospel to Paul. How did he do it? Well, Paul was on a trip, a business trip, if you will. He's on his way to the city of Damascus. And when Paul was on that way to the city of Damascus, God stopped him right in the middle of the road. And he shone down a light from heaven. And he spoke to Paul. And Paul was blinded by that light. He was blinded for three days. And when God spoke to him on the road to Damascus, and in the three days following, Jesus Christ spoke to Paul the glory of the gospel. He didn't need to hear it from Peter. He didn't need to hear it from James. He didn't need to hear it from John. He heard it directly from Jesus Christ. And Paul was unique in that way. Matter of fact, he's going to prove that the message didn't come from man. Look at it here in verse 13. He says, For you've heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it, and I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Everybody had heard how Paul came to the Lord. His story was familiar to Christians in general. Paul could stand up and say, well, you heard how I came to the Lord. Isn't that wonderful that Paul thought it was important for him to share his testimony? There can be tremendous power in sharing our testimony with other people, sharing how we came to Jesus Christ. Because then that takes the word of God and shows people how it can work for them. How the Bible really does have power. How it really does change lives. Whenever Paul was preaching among a group of people for a while, preaching the gospel to them, he was sure to share his personal testimony with them. And I think that's a marvelous thing. I challenge you. Do you know how to share your personal story of how you came to Jesus Christ with somebody else? Do you know how to share it cogently and succinctly? In five minutes, you can tell them, this is what God did in my life. This is how I came to Jesus Christ. Now, if you're going to do that, let me give you some guidelines here. First of all, there's two kind of dangers you can fall into. The first one is you can kind of, well, you can kind of glorify your past before you knew the Lord. You ever hear a testimony like that? You know, you're on the edge of your seat. The guy's standing up there and he's telling, you know, I was a, a drug kingpin and a mafia lord. And, and I did this and I did that. And he's telling about all the wicked, sinful things that he did and, and all these things. And I mean, you're on the edge of your seat and you go, wow, this is better than any movie. I can't believe this guy's life. And you're there. And then at the end, he goes, and then I found Jesus and my life is all different. Praise the Lord. Good night. You're like, wow. I mean, the part before Christ is more exciting than the part after Christ. So you've got to watch about that. You don't want to make sure, you don't want to give anybody the impression that your life before Jesus was better. I mean, if you're going to show and talk about the, the, the things that made you high in the estimation of the world before Christ, you just make sure you tell them the lows, too. You make sure you share with them the sense of emptiness and desperation, the fear and the guilt that would grip your heart. Just share the whole story. Then there's another problem that sometimes people get in with testimony. You know, you hear somebody give just a killer testimony, and then it's your turn. You know, and there they were. You know, I was in the gutter, and my arm was filled with needles. You know, I was almost dead, and they pronounced me dead five times at the hospital. And then a light appeared, and, you, and you're listening to this and go, man, my testimony is boring. And you feel like, you almost want to start making stuff up, just, you know, so it sounds better. And you, make a, you know, you were saved when you were a little kid. You raised your hand at a good news club, and that's when you were saved. And all of a sudden you become the toughest kid on the block, you know, and you're robbing another kid for their milk money, trying to make your past something bad when it really wasn't. Friends, you know what? People need to hear, and I'm going to use a phrase, I I trust you know what I mean without taking me too seriously on this, people need to hear boring testimonies too. They need to know that people just like you and me, people just that come from regular backgrounds who, who weren't notorious sinners, that they came to Jesus Christ too. And might I say that sometimes that's the most glorious conversion. Sometimes it's the most wonderful thing to see somebody who grew up in the church and grew up under a Christian mom and dad, and it seemed like everything was going for them, but they came to the place where it wasn't mom and dad's faith anymore, it was their faith. They came to a personal trust in Jesus Christ. Friends, sometimes that's the most difficult kind of person to truly convert under the Lord. Because they grow up thinking they're okay. They grow up thinking that mom and dad's faith is enough. Oh, but when they come and they realize, I needed Jesus for myself. What a beautiful thing. So Paul was able to explain his testimony. He said, you know what kind of person I was. I used to persecute the church. I used to try to destroy it. No, Paul was a dedicated persecutor of the church. He thought that he was out there trying to help trying to help God by persecuting Christians. Paul was responsible for the death of Christians. He used to go out and energetically do whatever he could to persecute him. And that was his life before he knew Jesus. But look at verse 15. This is spectacular where he says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Not when it pleased Paul, not when it pleased Peter. Not when it pleased James or John or any of the other disciples. When it pleased God. You now, I have a feeling that not many Christians were praying for the conversion of Paul. Now, I know there was one, Stephen, this first martyr of the church, whom Paul supervised his execution, his martyrdom. Peter prayed for his persecutors. I know Peter prayed for Paul excuse me, Peter, excuse me, Stephen. Did I say Peter? Uh, Stephen was this first uh, martyr of the church. And Stephen, this first one, when when the rocks were being thrown at him and when he was being struck by the rocks, he prayed for those who were killing him. He prayed for Paul. And so Stephen, as he prayed for Paul, I know God answered that, but I don't think there's probably a single other Christian who ever prayed for Paul. They were afraid of him. They were scared of him. Paul comes walking down the street, Christians run the other way. There weren't people sharing the gospel with Paul. Nobody was going up and handing him the four spiritual laws. He'd beat you. He'd run you out of town. So nobody was sharing the gospel with Paul. Instead, what happened? When it pleased God when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, Paul looks back now and he says, I wasn't separated to God on the road to Damascus. I was separated to God from my mother's womb. I see God's work in my life even before I knew Jesus Christ. You see that in your own life too, don't you? You see the work of Jesus Christ in your life before you ever surrendered your life to him. He was working in your life. He was there. And then he says, I love this in verse 16. What did he do it for? to reveal his son in me. Isn't that spectacular? This was God's work in Paul. Now, not only to reveal God to him. We understand that, right? Oh, you need to have Jesus revealed to you. No, not just that, but revealed. Did you see it there in verse 16? To reveal his son in me. Friends, isn't that the Christian life? Jesus Christ revealed in you. Not just to you. I'm sure there's a lot of people who know a lot of facts about Jesus. They could tell you all the Bible stories. They could go on and tell you about historical things and on and so, so forth and so on. But is Jesus Christ in them? Is it Jesus revealed in them? Paul said, Jesus just wasn't revealed to me. He was revealed in me. And so when people look at your life, can they see that Jesus is revealed in you? Well, no, he's in there, but He's hidden. No, we're talking about revealed. Is he revealed in you? That's the question, isn't it? May Jesus Christ be revealed in us when people look at our lives, and they say, there is Jesus. May people be able to ask our friends, our neighbors, our husbands, our wives, our co-workers, is Jesus revealed in that person? Yes, I see Jesus in that person. That's what God wants to do in your life. That's what needs to happen in our life. You think about the terrible tragedy that happened this last week in Texas where there's people out there killing Christians. you realize that there's people out there murdering Christians? What a terrible thing happening in our land. The Littleton, Colorado shooting. Cassie Burnell struck down because she proclaimed the Lord Jesus Christ and she was shot dead by those assassins. And then in Texas, this man goes up and curious. Isn't it curious that one of the girls shot dead by that man? Her name was Cassie also. And God has something to say to us for the Cassies of this world. Jesus Christ was revealed in them. But you look at this poor, desperate man who went out there and in the midst of his sin and depravity committed these horrible murders. Could anybody say that Christ was revealed in him? Not at all. That's the answer for that man's life. To have his life changed by the power of Jesus Christ. To have something different, in him, to take away the hatred and the rage, to take away the the poor thinking and the the desire to lash out at other people and have it to be replaced by the beautiful power of Jesus Christ. That's the answer. You could pass all the laws you want. You could put armed guards around churches. You, You could wipe out every gun in this country, but if you don't change the hearts of people, If you don't have Jesus Christ revealed in them, then you really don't have the answer, do you? Friends, that's what we need. Now there's something else in verse 16 that I think, well, it's almost funny. It says in verse 16, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Does God have a sense of humor or what? This fanatical... Jewish man gets saved. Now, back in Paul's day, I'm not trying to say it's like this today, but back in Paul's day, Jewish people hated Gentiles. And the more devout of a Jew you were in Paul's day, the more you hated Gentiles. In Paul's day, the rabbis wrote things that went like this. God created Gentiles to be fuel for the fires of hell. That's the only reason he created them. In Paul's day, rabbis taught that it would be a sin for a Jewish person to help a Gentile woman who was giving birth. Because even if you saved the woman's life, all you did was bring another Gentile into the world. Now friends, I'm thankful that that Jewish people don't think this way today, but in Paul's day they did. And what what did God do with this man who hated Gentiles so much? He said, I'm going to make you the apostle of the Gentiles. God has a way of doing things like that. And all of a sudden, Paul loved the Gentiles. Paul wanted to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. What a beautiful thing that God did in him. And he goes on and he says, verse 16, "'To reveal his Son in me, "'that I might preach him among the Gentiles, "'I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, "'nor did I go up to Jerusalem "'to those who were apostles before me. "'But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. "'Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem "'to see Peter and remained with him 15 days.' But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. (coughs) Excuse me. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the face which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. Now, again, Paul is stressing a couple things here. First of all, he's saying, I didn't get the gospel from any man. Peter, James, John, they didn't give me the gospel. I only met with them briefly. I was saved before I ever met them. Secondly, Paul's trying to say, the apostles knew about my gospel. And they thought it was fine. I'm not teaching anything different than what they taught, but I got it directly from Jesus Christ, not from the apostles themselves. You see, we need to understand something. If Paul were here today and you were to tell him your testimony of how you got saved, you say, oh, my friend was telling me about Jesus Christ and I was such at a low point in my life that I need, I trust in it was just great. Paul wouldn't say, well, your salvation's inferior. You heard about the gospel from somebody else. I heard about it directly from Jesus Christ. Paul would never say that. His point isn't to say that some people have a better salvation because they heard it directly from Jesus. What Paul's trying to say is that my message is true because it's right from God. Can I say something? There's something very important in this point, my friends. And the point is simply this. Is the gospel that you have, do you have it from God also? In other words, has God spoken it to your heart? Or do you just know about it because other people have told you about it? Do you have the voice and the testimony of God telling you, this is true, this is right? No, Paul Paul knew that in his life. He knew that his life was very different because Jesus Christ spoke the gospel directly to him. So much so, look at it here in verse 23, where it says, but they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us, now, preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God and me. That's the only thing they knew. Paul wasn't a great preacher right when he became saved. I think it's interesting, don't you? That Paul was unknown for years when he came to Christ. He didn't get saved and go on the lecture circuit, Paul was just an anonymous Christian for many years. How different the way we do it today. Nowadays, when a celebrity or somebody notable comes to Christ, I mean, we put them right out front right away. That's not how it was with Paul. That's probably not healthy, is it? It's like, let them grow. Let them get deep in their walk with the Lord. Let them develop a, a, a firm walk with Jesus Christ. Then if they have something to say, well, praise God for that. But Paul's showing, no, no, my gospel, it didn't come from man. It came from Jesus Christ. Paul's message was true. And his experience was valid because it really came from God. Now, here's my point for you. The message that you believe about Jesus Christ, the experience that you have with God, is it really from God or is it just from you? Is it just from somebody else? Does your Christian experience really come from God? Or have you made it up yourself? what you make up in yourself can never really save you and can never really have a lasting difference. You see, Jesus Christ wants to be real to you one-on-one. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to have a heavenly vision the same way that Paul had one. But friends, you know what it can be to have Jesus Christ confirm the truth of his message to your heart to say, this is it, this is real, I'm calling you, I'm speaking to your heart, this is for you friends, if Jesus Christ is speaking that way to your heart, then you can know, I'm hearing it from God. I'm not just hearing it from man. In other words, the reason for you to give your life to Jesus Christ and to walk after him is not because a man told you to, but because you felt Jesus Christ calling you. Have you heard that call? Have you responded to it? <coughs> if you have, then you can know with great certainty that your calling really is from God. If you haven't, then ask God for it now. Ask God to come to you and say, listen, my child, I want you. Come unto me, I'm calling you. Make all the difference in the world. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not the relationship somebody else has. You need to be able to say what Paul said, that my relationship with God didn't come from any man. But Jesus came and called me. He can use anybody he wants, but has Jesus called you? Is it your own real personal relationship with him? That'll make all the difference. Friends, the only thing that's going to last in this world are things that are made by God. Think about it. Chairs, room, platform, building. Is this going to last in the age to come? Nope. But what's made by God? Well, People are made by God, aren't they? This book is made by God. That stuff is going to last. That will last. Well, here's my question. Is your relationship made by God, your relationship with Him? Let God make it. Have Him call your heart and draw you to Him. And that will transform you. So let's pray together right now and ask God to impress that deeply on our hearts.